Hey there, Alec here, co-founder of Steadfast Beta and your host for the Steadfast Cast, a podcast all about user experience and figuring out how to make your users smile. Today, I'm thrilled to say that we're being joined by Huda Idris, the product lead for Wellsimple, an awesome investment startup based out of Toronto that's all the rage with millennials and people who want to get involved in the financial markets. We talk about some of the challenges that Wellsimple faced, including the different regulations that affect their business, as well as why we think and why she thinks that engineers make awesome product leads and designers. Tune in. Here we go. Good. Now we're rolling for real. Awesome. awesome. For real. They, they purposely like rolls when I don't know so that it stays conversational. So yeah. normally he doesn't do this, but that's okay. So you can edit this part out. <laughs> See, look at him laugh. He's, he's a sneaky guy. This guy is so sneaky. All right, cool. Um, Huda, welcome to the Steadfast Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you are from Wellsimple, so can you tell us a bit about yourself, where you come from, how you got involved with Wellsimple, all that kind of stuff. Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me in this beautiful space with the view. Ryerson DMZ, shout out. That, that I wouldn't have access to otherwise. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I work at a company called Wellsimple, and we are Canada's fastest growing investment management company. And what we basically do is allow you to invest your money in the stock market um, without needing to have additional knowledge about stocks, about watching the market every day, um, et cetera. And we let you do it in a completely paperless way. That's exciting. Which is cool, yeah. yeah. And so you work in the design team, you're the lead designer, I believe? That's right. So I lead the product and design team. So I'm technically the head of product and design um, at the company, which means I lead an area business team, which is the product team, and then the functional team, which is the design team. That's exciting. How did you get, your background's in engineering. That's right. How on earth did you get into design like as a thing? Not, every, not, not something you hear about every day. Yeah, I wish we would hear about it more yeah. because as the field of design has grown from where it was just considered the DRAMs, um, you create a product and you design a blender and it has to be a certain way to what design is now when we live in this world of digital interfaces that um, people who need to have an understanding of how humans are functioning should be using it. Engineers are the perfect fit. Right. So I would, if somebody's looking to hire designers, I would actually always recommend looking into engineering schools for them. Uh, because engineering kids learn how to think. Right. Um, and I think it's, it's great. It was my best life decision to date was to go to engineering school. So suffice to say you're pretty happy with I'm where you're at. I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, would do, I would do the engineering school program at U of T again and again. That's for, amazing. Forever if I had to. Uh, because it was incredible. Uh, I learned a ton. Uh, the way I got into design was um, is one of my favorite stories. Um, there's a co-op program that U of T does where uh, after your third year of engineering, you go and work at a company for 12 to 16 months. And the way that they do this is they um, give you this mini career website and they're like, apply to whatever you want. And I applied to one job right? because my backup was uh, working at Google uh, in Mountain View as their intern. That is a pretty good backup. Which was, you know, all right. <laughs> it was okay. So I applied to the one job and it, uh, it was Wattpad. Right. And this is back when Wattpad, this is 2009, uh, 2009, 2010, 2010. Um, and Wattpad is this little nobody of a company. They have these dingy little offices up at Finch Station. Um, and they have a grand total of uh, like six team members or something like that. Um, so they're advertising for a quality assurance analyst, which makes sense for an engineer to do. For sure. Uh, I walk into the interview and Alan is sitting there and I'm like, hey, Alan, my name is Huda. Uh, I don't really want this job. Uh, it was actually just what I said. I hadn't even taken a seat when I told him I didn't want it. Um, 
And I give him a lot of credit for getting me involved in the startup scene because if it was any other person, I guarantee you, they would have been like, there's the door. Thank you very much for playing. <laughs> like, you're out. Um, and Alan uh, was super gracious, uh, and I'm so grateful for him to this day. Uh, he asked me to take a seat and asked me to walk him through why I didn't want the job. Uh, and I told him, I said, you didn't, don't have any designers on the team. I think I could be your very first designer and jumpstart your team. Um, think about it. Yeah. Basically. Uh, he thought about it, got a call from him um, about joining the team. And he said, well, I think it's a great idea and we'd love to have you join the team as, as the very first designer. But also, we're a completely bootstrap company and you're going to have to also be the quality assurance analyst. <laughs> So I was like, typical startup fashion, this is great. Turned down Google, just like disappointed everybody around me. Of course. Um, to go work at this no-name company. And then spent the first month and a half building this little bot that would run my scripts for me for testing, for quality assurance, um, which was the first version of Wattpad's automated test environment, which in parts is still in, still in play. From what I've been told, it's probably very different from what I made it, um, but it's still in play. So I did did that for the month for the month and a half, and the rest of the sixteen months uh, spent, uh, you know, touching almost every part of the business and designing their marketing collateral to their experience in their site to designing for mobile um, and growing the team out. By the time I left, we'd raised our Series B. That was Coastal Ventures. It was a seventeen mil. Um, we'd grown the user base from under a million to five. Um, and we'd grown the team and the offices from seven people when I joined to 30 when I left. It's amazing. So it was huge. So you got an incredible opportunity to like really be part of the, f and it's something you only get at a startup really, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Right? So only when there's so much constraint and everybody has to wear lots of hats did you get to explore and, and do something pretty Absolutely. fantastic. That's a pretty amazing story. Uh, have you t like, do you tell that story a lot? Every now and then. Every I'll now and then. Uh, mostly because I'm like gushing about Alan. I'm like, Alan's the greatest person in the world. Um, yeah. We'll send a recording out to, yeah, to Alan yeah, for you sure. Should. Um, that's that's really interesting. So so let's jump jump ship a bit to what to to Well Simple. Mm -hmm. And um, so as you said, it's like an investment platform where anyone can sign up and, and get started investing right that's away. Right. Um, one of the big UX challenges basically every startup has is. How do, how do I get information from our users, right? Even something as simple as a sign-up can be a really big challenge. Yeah. You guys have a much bigger challenge than getting yeah. an email address. You have to do a lot more. Yeah. How do you handle that situation? And, and what are some of the constraints there? Yeah. Uh, so the context is financial regulations um, state that you need to collect lots of uh, information from a client, including your social insurance number, your banking information, heavy stuff. Yeah which we like to call basic information in our onboarding <laughs> flow, but it's not basic at all if you're asking for my SIN number. Um, and I think the way that we're lucky in this is that our competition and the landscape in Canada is so much worse that it's easy. Comparatively. Uh, to, it's comparatively easy to raise the bar right. in that aspect. If you were to go to any other investment firm, you have to sit in front of a physical advisor, mm -hmm. sign papers back and forth that are 17 pages long, um, and that's how you start an investment account. With Wealthsimple, you can do it with your mobile app, and you can electronically sign documents which are legally binding, and basically give me all the same information that I need, just on a mobile device. Um, and it's challenging, yeah. yeah. We, we lose people when they're going uh, through the onboarding process because it's a lot of information. If I ask you for your social insurance number and you don't know it off by heart, which most people don't, um, you have to go look for it 
and then come back and give it to me. Same thing with your bank account information. Right. Um, what we found, though, was it was a lot easier to do on a mobile phone than it was on a desktop. Really? Yeah. So when we first launched the product, it was web only. It was a web app. It was responsive-ish, but it was a web app. Yeah. Um, and what we would ask you to do, we'd say, you know, hey, Alec, like, come on board. Like, give us your name and your phone number and your email. And then we'll ask you for all this length of information. And oh, by the way, you also need to give us your driver's license. Right. So if you're that person and you're on a laptop, what are you doing to get me your driver's license? I'm pulling out my driver's license out of my wallet and I'm typing in all the information for my driver's license. But I need a photo of it. You also need a photo of That's it. That's right. Okay, so then I imagine my, you have to have a plug-in that turns on the camera so I can lift it up and take a picture of it. That's a great idea, and we didn't do it. Okay. <laughs> we should have, maybe. I, I only know because I think that's what Airbnb made me do before that's I got true. onto their platform. That's um, true. I think they but do. But by do the that. way, the UX of that pop-up, I think it's like some sort of standard plug-in pop-up that they have yeah, that's yeah. straight out of 1997. It, oh, the, my goodness. The text is hardly legible. It's like dark gray letters on a light gray background with all sorts of squares and rectangles all over the place. Oh. May, it might just be my computer. I could be totally off. <laughs> uh, it could be totally off the ball here. That's but, interesting. Yeah. But that's, no that's what happened. Um, yeah, we actually, when we launched, we, were, we launched the public um, as a beta platform yeah. in September of 2014. And what we had clients yeah. do was essentially scan a photo of their ID. Right. And upload a the scanner. Document. You need a scanner. I don't even know what that is anymore. Right. It's been a long time since I've seen a scanner. So what happened three months later yeah. is we released um, our mobile apps. Which, um, guess what? Mobile phones are equipped with cameras that take photos of things like driver's Rumor license. Rumor is. Yeah. You yeah. to confirm. So, so they say. So, so they say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it made a, an otherwise cumbersome process a lot easier just on a mobile phone, which is a little interesting if you think about an investment company operating on a device like that. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't immediately think they're going to give out private information on their phone. Uh, turns out... Um, our demographic is, um, is okay with it. Uh, it has the same security that your laptop computer would. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't make any sense to, uh, to not. And it's equipped with everything you need. You have to electronically sign, and you have a touchscreen on your, on your device. Rumor has it. R rumor has it. You have a touchscreen <laughs> on your device, so you can actually sign. And then you have a camera that can take photos of things like your ID or your check or whatever you need to verify your So phone. those kinds of tools that every phone is equipped made mm -hmm. it way, way easier. Totally. That's amazing. It cut down our, uh, I don't even remember uh, what it was when we first launched. Our onboarding time was ridiculous. It was like something like several weeks in order to get funds in your account. Wow. Uh, and we've reduced that now down to 36 hours. Um, to actually see your funds trading. So you've given us your money, and now we've traded it in the market. Wow. Uh, which is cool. That is pretty ridiculous. I, I think about how long it takes me to get a new credit card from my bank. And I'll, I, I don't, I think I, it took me, I think I'm still waiting on the card for, uh -oh. for, yeah, it expired. So I'm getting a new one. But I think it's been about four weeks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I've had to go in multiple times signing documents and stuff. So the fact that I can actually trade money on the stock market in 36 hours or less. That's pretty ridiculous. It's cool. We'd like to make it faster. Uh, there's this running joke in the company where uh, we say we want to be able to scan your eyeball and invest your money. And, and, and then you have a, a, a zero-touch onboarding experience. That would be really cool. Um, so, you know, we, we can talk a lot about, you know, what you guys have come up with in terms of how to make this amazing user experience to get people to not only give you intense personal information, but also then give, give you their cash. Right. Um, 
But the real interesting question is how did you get there, right? How did you figure out what was going to make the most sense to users? How did you get feedback? How did you incorporate them into the process in order to figure out the process that, at least today, works really, really well? Yeah, the hardest part with Wealthsimple is getting started. After that, it's pretty easy. If you have to put in more money, you can go in and do it wherever. Um, but when you're first getting started, it seems a little painful. And so in the company, we've actually tried to rip apart onboarding and, and redo bits and pieces of it that are problematic over and over and over again. And I couldn't tell you how many versions we've gone through because I've lost count. Right. Um, so when it started, it was, it was actually us doing the paper process for you in the background. So it just looked like a paperless process. It was just us sitting there, like filling out that's forms hilarious. for you and sending them in. You know, that's what Stripe originally did. You know, so, so I'm sure you're familiar with Stripe, right? Yeah. So yeah, so they, they, it was originally, I think, two or three founders, and they started this like online payment processing, whatever. And basically, you would fill out a form online, and then somebody at one of the founders at Stripe would call up a bank and oh ask God. them to release the funds. That's cool. And that was it. That was how Stripe got started. That's how all, I found that's how all great companies start. Zappos is the, is the same thing. So Tony Shea would like, you know, take an order from you to buy shoes and then walk next door and like get a pair of shoes and then ship it to you. <laughs> that was how they started, which is so cool. That is really And the bare bones way, like the very first version of Wellsimple that Mike, who's our founder, created was a spreadsheet. It was just a spreadsheet that, rebalanced how much money you had uh, based on how the market had performed. That's pretty fascinating. And so, so this is interesting. So then, you know, you've got, is the reason that, it, that people who tend to do things manually before building, pro, before automating things and before building digital experience, I think the reason is because they understand the process so well and what customers want so well that that allows them to sort of better inform the engineering team of what actually needs to be built. Yeah, so a large part of it is also involving engineers in that discovery process. Yeah. So when we first started, um, it was a tiny team, so everybody did everything. Mm -hmm. And there were two parts to our learning. One was learning how the financial regulation landscape works. What is it that um, FinTrack, which is a, a regulatory body, needs from us, or the uh, Ontario Securities Commission, which is what regulates us, basically, for all advisors, what do they need from us in order for our service to be um, a FinTrack or OSC compliant? Right. So they need a person's SIN number. They need you to be able to identify their, um, their you know, name with their bank account, et cetera, et cetera. And the second part is when you put yourself in this process, you are the user in that specific case. So you're trying to go through what a regular person would have to go through at a bank or any other investment firm. You're sitting there. You're going through paper. Um, you're talking to all the people you need to talk to in order to get this account processed. And then you start thinking about what you can eliminate from this, from this process and make it a lot shorter. And that's really what we did. Our initial process was a lot longer than what it is now. So by basically inserting yourself in, and you become almost the product, right? You get to talk with all the different parties involved on a very regular basis and learn what things they like, what things they find frustrating, That's right. what things take a really long time that could be easily automated, what things are going to require a lot of creativity to like just, you know, build solutions around. Yeah. But it all sort of started with the fundamental, like, let's understand this problem so, so well by just talking to everyone in, in each sort of aspect, whether it's your customers, the regulatory bodies, internally on the team, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, YC's Paul Graham is fond of saying this, where he says, um, initially, uh, founders and the founding team should do things that don't scale. 
And filling out paper applications <laughs> doesn't scale when you have tens of thousands of clients. Right. You just can't throw bodies at a problem. Right. But when you start off, it's so important, specifically around trust building. One of the biggest challenges for Wealthsimple, and it will remain a challenge for us as we grow because we're so much younger than our competition, is trust. How much do people trust us? And how do we increase that reservoir of trust right. uh, with them? And when you're doing things that don't scale, like putting Mike's phone number in all the welcome emails so clients can call him at any hour of the day, and they do, right. um, is one thing that, you know, when we, have, when we have hundreds of thousands of clients, Mike won't be able to take all the calls. Right. But initially, that is needed in order to get people's, in, in order to gain trust with our clients. Uh, and we did lots of things that didn't scale initially. So um, Mike's phone number as one thing. Mike actually being on the phone and doing client support as another thing. The entire the rest of the team doing client support. Um, we used to send um, specific um, birthday cards written by hand by one of the team members when a client's birthday came around. Um, this is something that you could potentially outsource to some like retro hipster card writing company today, probably. <laughs> There's got to be a uh, what is probably. it? Card writing as a service, Quas, some like Quas <laughs> yeah. startup. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it exists. Probably. There's there's one in the valley pitching a, to Sam Altman right now. Right now, I'm sure. undoubtedly. It's coming uh, up in the next YC class. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, but it's <laughs> you know it's pretty cool that we live in a world where that's a possibility. Um, this is what we did as an internal team right. initially. We would send cookies every time you um, uh, funded your account and we wanted you to refer a client. We would send you these 10 personalized cards that said, Alec wants to give you $10,000, manage for free, and it had a unique referral code on it. I do want to do that. Yeah. yeah it's, That's uh, very good. It, is, it was pretty cool. It had a huge return for us. Eventually, not scalable when you have tens of thousands of clients, you're going to run out of cookies. Well, we'll see. Right? Well, I don't know. You could start. You could it could it. be the Well Simple Bakery in addition to the this Well is true. That's a much better revenue. I like that. Generating it. Yeah. Well, it's very stable from what I hear. Everybody loves yeah, cookies. Yeah. Forget managing money. Just make cookies. <laughs> Come on. Um, so, so that's really interesting. That, and, and I think that's a common theme that, you know, basically being a part of the product itself. It's something we actually do at Steadfast as well, where early on, you know, I'm scheduling all the sort of user tests that we do, making all the connections, looking through everybody to make sure that they're helpful and like waiting everyone and all that kind of stuff. And it's really helped me learn about things that I didn't expect, right? So for example, when we um, find someone great to help out a company with user testing, right, it's really actually important for us to like send a headshot of who it is that person will be talking to ahead of time because it increases the amount of comfort that somebody has before they jump on this call with someone they don't know, cool. right? And giving a little bit of background information about, you know, what it is they're trying to learn. So the tester knows like what to focus on when they try out this new product or this new mock-up or whatever it is. Um, just an incredible learning experience for me. Uh, very humbling too, because things I thought that were important in many cases weren't so important. Or obvious. Or obvious, yeah, yeah. Things I thought I was right about, I was not right yeah. about. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And so I'm sure by being on the phones all the time, you guys have that opportunity to talk to customers all the time, figure out what they truly, truly love about the product, and then sort of throw that back into the product team and say, like, how can we double down on the success things we're successful at, and how can we improve upon the things that we need to improve upon? Yeah, as part of our design process, we do include usability testing and research as part of every problem that we're trying to solve. Uh, well, the, our approach to it is to not let time be the enemy. 
So oftentimes, design teams will say, I need two months to do a rigorous usability test. And I think that prevents you from shipping really quickly, which is our greatest strength. Right. And one of our core company values is to always be improving whatever it is that you're working on. So the onboarding process has gone through so many different versions. Right. We try to think of the very next best thing we can do. So whether it's a little copy change or it's a format or layout change, what is the very next thing we can do? Versus sitting back and thinking of utopias that you can build. Because that, that encourages uh, being in silos mm -hmm. versus being collaborative, not just within your team, but also with your users. Right. So what we like to do and what we've done in the past in uh, almost every change that we've made has been to get user feedback um, incorporated into our decision. And the way we do it is uh, it's pretty quick and dirty. So it's five to seven users. Um, this is based off of Nielsen's heuristic of yep. how With many right users number, you need right. yeah. before it plateaus. So the returns after your seventh user are going to plateau. And startups are pretty good at you know being efficient. So so we stop at seven. Seven right. is like the our our higher end. Uh, and we try to get five to seven users that vary in age, in occupation, and in gender in order to completely capture a very, very small, but very important snapshot of our current demographic so we can understand what they would do. Uh, as an example, we, when we were launching our mobile apps mm -hmm. for the very first time, we spoke with um, two sets of seven users and yeah. we asked them what they thought about a mobile app. And what I love, what I love about this project is almost all of them said, questioned why we would ever build a mobile app. And it, it turns out, as, as most UX practitioners know, you have to look at what people do, not what they say. Um, so users will say they want X, but you have to find out the reason. It's the I want a faster horse problem, right? That's right. Right. Um, turns out when we did launch the mobile apps, it was like our, our biggest source of new users. Right. It still is. It completely changed the game of our business. That's really fascinating. And it's one thing I think that, um, I mean, the way that we approach this sort of problem is with the, you know, what users say they want versus what they, you know, actually want or what they do sort of thing yeah. is um, often when you ask a user if they want something, that, that's a totally unreliable answer. It and is. So, Accept the fact that when you ask that question, yeah. it's, it's an unreliable response yeah. that you're going to get, and you know it could be completely, completely off. But what we try and do is say, all right, what is the underlying sort of foundational reason why we think this this feature or this product would be important? And so, for example, you know we need this um, this filtering feature because we think that people are getting too much information in this feed that we yeah. built for them. And we think that this filtering feature probably is going to be based on like subtopics that people can create themselves and they'll have this little, but then go and test against actually the theory or the constraints or the context of that problem. So if we go and talk to users and they say, you know, so we just say, would you like this feature? And they might say yes, right? But if they don't agree that they have too much stuff in their feed, uh -huh. then we know that the fundamental premise for the reason why we'd build that feature is false. Yeah. And so we might scrap that yeah. or we might take a different approach at it. Yeah. Um, so trying to test for the context as much as it is testing for the actual idea itself. Definitely. Uh, yeah, we found that in, um, in a large part of our usability test framing the problem is really your key, which is, which is what you're saying. And, and the way that you frame it is going to directly impact the kinds of responses that you're going right. to get. And they're either going to be very useful or they're just going to be... Junk. Um, they're, they're garbage in, garbage, garbage out. Yeah, yeah basically. 
It's funny that uh, there's a the Mark Twain quote that's my favorite one is there are three kinds of lies: lies, damn lies, and statistics. <laughs> and the truth is is that you can make especially with something like a survey, you can make it sing to whatever tune totally. that you want, right? However you phrase phrase the question in the right way, you can get very, very different responses. So yeah. like, you know, the early part of setting yourself up to talk to users is like super, super important to make sure that you're really testing for or um, evaluating what it is you actually want to evaluate and not some other Absolutely. You know, side feature or something like that. And it comes back to the point of being, startups are obsessed with saying that they're data driven. Um, and I'm on the other side of that argument that says you should be data informed. Because if I were to look at the pure data that came back from my usability tests on people and mobile apps, yep. I would have not built them. And then we wouldn't have opened up a new user acquisition channel for the company. Um, and I think it's so important to also listen to your instincts because they've served you really well and you know the space really well. And also look at data trends and it's this weird line that you have to just be so careful about walking. It's easy to fall into the trap. And, and you know, there, there's so much information that you also take in as just by running and, and being a part of the company that it's hard to sometimes explicitly say or to, yeah. to necessarily know that you know it, yeah. but you get that gut feeling about it. And yeah. that, that shouldn't necessarily be dismissed out of hand. So exactly like what you're saying, the intuition, intuition matters. Totally. I would say design is largely intuition. Really? Largely. So, so t talk about your process, like how... You know, you've come from this engineering background, and my guess is that you have a, a more interest, a very different approach to design than may, maybe some of the folks that come from creative agencies or like print ads or totally. things like that. You know, what's your, how, when, you, when you get a new problem, how do you think it through? How do you figure out what the right solution you want to test or evaluate could be? It's like the million I mean, that's like question. the, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's a good question. And um, one that's tough to answer, so I'll try, I'll try my best yeah. uh, to do it. Um, the way that we usually approach problems in our organization is we look at a couple of things. One is, will this help us get to our next milestone as a company? The second is, how many users are we affecting? One of the values of Simple is to do what's right for each client. If we're affecting people in a way that's either causing them grief about where their money is, um, they're worried about um, not having control over their information or something like that, that is a large problem for us as a company uh, and something that we want to address right away. So when you, you look at problems, you're first filtering them through based on whether you should work on them or not. Uh, and second, you're looking at them from a designer's perspective, less so from an engineer really, you're looking at the design process of what you're trying to solve, coming up with a hypothesis and following the process and iterating on it over and over again. So you start with a hypothesis. Um, you're usually getting your team together, both people who are going to implement it and people who are going to design for it in a room to try to think of all the workflows. The other part of design, so aside from intuition, the other part of design has a lot to do with workflow. I think people make this mistake of thinking design is about pretty colors and fonts and pictures, and it's not. It's, it's about how something works, and the pretty pictures and colors are the cherry on top. If your workflow is shot, if you're trying to make it pretty, you're just applying lipstick on a pig, and it's not going to help you. And that has happened time and time again, and it will continue to happen until people realize it. Which is another reason why engineers fit the bill really well, is because they really focus on how something is working. Right. Um, and we roll it out to a very small 
set of our users initially, just to test it. Mm -hmm. Because it's possible that our intuition or our data is incorrect. Right. And our small sample size will help us figure out which direction we could And you go. can dig deep with those people. Absolutely. That's really you, can, you have access to them. Our, our clients are phenomenal. They've been so helpful in just being open with their suggestions and their time and their ideas on where they want to see the product. And we wouldn't be where we are today if it were not for some, some of our early users and some of our existing users too. Um, I called a set of users yesterday and it was after work hours and um, it was a five minute conversation, but still I, I, f I feel an immense amount of gratitude to people who are willing to give me their time. 100%, about it. that's amazing. So just to sort of like wrap up a little bit, one line pitch for why Wellsimple is right for all of our listeners out there um, and why they got to get on it today. Wellsimple allows you to live the life you want to live. We're not there to tell you not to buy the latte. We, we want you to buy the latte and also save for tomorrow. Uh, and I think that's important. We live in this world where people are tr telling us what to do and what not to do, and that shouldn't that shouldn't be the case. I like. I really like this. We want. We're the people that are going to tell you to buy the latte, but we'll also help you save. Right? Like, like yeah. we're not going to tell you not. That's right. Yeah. Join Well Simple because you want to buy lattes. Clearly. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I can't think of a better value proposition than that. That's. Uh, yeah. I think that's my final pick. Very good. That one. Okay. Cool. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This was like super, super interesting, and I hope you'll come back again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. Okay. Cool. Thank All you. Right. Thanks so much for tuning into the Steadfast Cast. A special thank you goes out to our venue and tech sponsor, the DMZ at Ryerson University. If you're building a startup in Toronto, this is definitely a great place for you to be. Go to dmz.ryerson.ca to check out what sort of programs they have available and to get involved. And as always, if you're building a great product and looking for feedback from awesome testers and awesome users, get in touch. Go to steadfastbeta.com and shoot us a message. Thanks so much for joining us.